Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. This is episode 154 with Danny Marin. Danny is a powerhouse, multi-hyphenate theater artist. They are the founder and executive director of Con Limon Productions. We also talk about Rise Theater Directory, reading from their website, their mission page, Rise, Representation, Inclusion, and Support for Employment, seeks to build a more equitable and inclusive theater industry by centralizing DEIA tools and resources through a network of partners and a national personnel directory that focuses on folks from underrepresented backgrounds, including but not limited to people of color, women, trans, non-binary, deaf, and disabled theater professionals. Check it out. Learn more. Sign up at risetheater.org. And with that, please sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 154 with Danny Marin. I am thrilled to welcome Danny Marin to the podcast. Welcome, Danny! Woo! Confetti. <laughs> Hi! So we're talking first off about a really exciting Exciting, timely, necessary new initiative, Rise Theater Network. Tell me all about it, why you're part of it, and why folks need to lean the heck in on this. So I was brought into the fold for Rise Directory um, a few months ago, like three or four months ago, as a, um, I'm in the circle of advocates, um, which is really, really a fancy word for I'm on an advisory board with some fancy people. <laughs> and it's cool. This program is one of the best things that I've seen come out of our industry in a very long time. We're creating access. We're creating access to people. Like it's it's one of those things that like, I think for a very long time, a lot of us as community members in this industry have tried to make Rolodexes and kind of, you know, create some some kind of platform for ourselves and Google Sheets to keep track of like who we know, who people have worked with. I mean, I know I've collected a lot of like playbills and been like, ooh, I really like that lighting design. I'm going to put this in a Google Sheet. And now it's really cool to be able to find those people, especially specific people um, within this platform. I think it's it's it was about time for it to happen. Um, it's a wonderful program and I'm just really fortunate that I get to be a part of it. One of the things that I love about the website is it really breaks down some of some of the statistics, right? Because opinions mm -hmm. can be really easy to argue with, but it's hopefully harder to argue with or one of my least favorite things, you know, playing devil's advocate, right? When they're hard, objective facts. So I'm just going to call out some of them. Only 1% of playwrights uh, identified as non-binary. Only 24% produce playwrights identify as BIPOC. And 39% identify as female. And this is according to the Count 3.0 study with the Lilies in partnership with the Dramatists Guild. And it also reminds me of when Mitt Romney, Romney famously said in that debate, like, I have binders full of women, right? And that sort of in the writing community, there was some action that snarky action that came up of creating these binders networks of women writers and, and whatnot. And I also love that this is sort of an evolution next step. Shout out to Ring of Keys for the work that they're doing, but this is sort of expanding it. And so when folks- Maestra, Maestra yes, as well. Like yes. When folks say, I can't, I want to, but I can't find these people, which sort of seems to me when I hear that, it's like, well, then you're not connected to the right people or you're not doing the legwork that is needed. And so this sort of really, I hope, cuts out any excuses folks have about, I can't find, I can't cast authentically. Cool. Here's a website. Here's a directory of all the folks. Do you want to speak a little bit about how hopefully this, this 
you know, takes away some of the barriers that folks have in terms of casting and, and producing work that is authentic and, and brings in a lots of different perspectives to it. Yeah, I, I kind of lead the conversation, especially with like my white counterparts in producing. Um, I usually lead with this um, when they say, how do I, can you introduce me to people? Why don't I have access to them? Right. One, one very much like what you said, I always ask, well, have you reached out to them? Have you connected with them? Have you found them? Right. And, and also, have you made a space that is safe enough for those people to exist? Are you actually trying to advocate for these people enough for them to go, wait, I could be a playwright? If you're not creating an environment that is available for these people to go, oh, I want to get into, I want to get into this field, but I don't know how to. If you're not creating that space for them, then of course you don't know who they are. Great. Um, yeah, I, I I always get asked specifically like, how can we change? How can we actually actionably um, change the space of our theater world with creatives and people behind the scenes. Um, I call it the Hamilton effect, what we've done over the last couple years, uh, where Hamilton came out and we said, that's diversity. Um, but the reality of it is that the creatives, the investors, the producers are predominantly white. And so it becomes this weird mirror of, you know, putting people of color on stage and that's it. We did our job, check mark done diversity and so when we talk about creatives when we talk about choreographers when we talk about directors <clears throat> when we talk about lighting designers xyz costume designers we're always left with well i don't know them i don't they don't have a ton of experience how can we know about their work you know if it's not accessible or i've never seen their stuff and i always say if if their resume speaks volumes and you meet with them and, the, and they feel like your instincts, like this is per somebody that I need to really um, stick it out with and really see what they can do, invest in them. And if you want to play it safe and say, you know what, I have not seen any of their stuff. They talk a big game. I, I, something feels right about this, but I don't know yet. If you want to give them a trial, put them onto a team and have them be an associate director, have them be an associate choreographer, whatever that is, to work directly with that director, choreographer, costume designer, whatever, that you know and trust and know, does, know can do good work and see what they're made of. Let them get mentored by somebody on the team. It costs no money for something that you're already paying for to do something like that. And then you have a list of names. Then you have writers and co-writers and all of these different people that are available to you now. So with this particular platform, I think it's really important. What, what I as a producer used for Maestra in particular is if I'm telling a female or trans story in particular, a musical, and we're doing a concert or we're doing a reading, I try to make everybody not only the, the actors on stage, I try to make the musicians, the creatives, everyone in-house reflect what, what kind of story, what the mission of the story is and, have, and utilize that. So we used Maestra a lot to say, how can we find more female and non-binary and trans identifying people to be musicians? And nine out of 10 times, I didn't know any of them. I saw the resume and I was like, this looks good. I watched a video of them playing and I said, I don't know them, but I'm never gonna know them unless I take a chance on them. I'm gonna hire them. And a lot of them that I, I used through Maestra, I, they will be my first calls now. And that's what's exciting about Rise is that we can do the same thing. That formula can now exist where we can go, hey, I wanna work and have meetings with all of these people. Let's expand our community as much as possible. Let me expand my Rolodex and who my first offers are gonna be now. I, I just think that there's so much that we could be doing and what we should be doing. So, hey, hopefully some things will change. I, you know, I certainly hope so. And, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about 
some of these think pieces, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the recent Washington Post piece in particular that are reflecting about the state of theater, theaters in crisis, et cetera. One of the things that disturbs me the most that I think we need to address head on and have that awareness is that there are people going on the record saying that part of the issue financially is that folks took too big of creative risks in terms of pivoting their programming to center more diverse voices and that is having a financial toll and that's just like let's stop that right here that's not the case and i i don't want to amplify those voices and then i what i want to have amplified is is stories like um jinx monsoon on broadway breaking box office records in chicago and so do you mind speaking a little bit uh, to that? And I just feel like it's some very smug cis white people saying, told you so. And it mm. just like, it physically makes me ill a little bit. So what do you, I mean, what do you say to those folks who are putting that out in the world right now? Well, first I will say when I launched my company my production company called Name on Productions, the first thing that a lot of people advised me against was making it a Spanish company. And they okay. said, well, you're going to, you're going to fall into the hole that everyone's going to think that all you produce is Latin A stories. And what was important to me in saying, nope, I'm going to stick to my guns is um, one, it came from a joke from my partner who is cis and white. And he made fun of me through the pandemic because my mom would send me box, I mean, literally boxes of like hot Cheetos con limon. And, <laughs> and so he, when I was trying to figure out the name, he was jokingly said that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to stick with that. And he was like, no, 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 I was joking. And I was like, no, 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 there's something there. And I stuck, I stuck with it because my metaphor for my producing and the way that I work has always been about planting seeds and I was like, yeah, you know what? This is true. It's not about us in this company, you know, being Latine or telling only Latine stories. The point of it is that if you bring my company into the fold of your production, it's already adding some spice and some flavor just by having us exist there. And that's what the con limon was, was like, ah, let us sprinkle in some flavor for you. Let let us give give you some depth to what it is that you're trying to achieve. I think it's BS, to be honest. I think I think it's a, a scapegoat that a lot of our our white uh, cis, especially male gatekeepers, are trying to do um, because of the fact that, like, look, they try to use that as an example in the Broadway reopenings. Let's let's call a spade a spade. What were the first shows to open, to reopen? They were shows about Black men. Mm. So they wanted to test the waters and say, hey, is it safe enough for us to come back? Two, does the model work? And three, if it doesn't work, we can close it and say, well, this is why we don't have so many of these stories. Ugh. And But it's the truth. It is the truth. Right. And any anybody who tries to see against that, I'm like, I don't know. Because then what happened after? a wave of white people, a wave of white stories, a wave of white savior stories. They all exist. These shows were always in development, but why now? Why were they suddenly given a Broadway theater? So, you know, I, I think there's a mixed bag. I think a lot of it is like, there are stories for and by people like me that are Latin A or that are, are trans um, or are indigenous or black or AAPI, like there are those stories, but they have to be told from the perspective of that community. Right. And that's what's failing in, in our industry as a whole, not only on Broadway, but regionally. It's like, well, if we're going to tell some of these stories, like I get submitted scripts all the time. Um, I'm on a couple advisory boards where I read some new plays, festivals and stuff. And sometimes I can't believe that someone has the audacity to write things that they shouldn't be writing. And I think pre-pandemic, there is this idea of like, well, we're using our imagination. Who says that you can't tell this story just because they don't identify? And I think there's nuance. Nuance is missing. You can't, I can't 
write and pretend like I know the Black experience. While many of my best friends growing up have been Black, many of my best friends who will be in my wedding party are Black or Puerto Rican or a mixed race. I have not lived their life for me to write from their actual perspective. If you're going to write a character that's Black, that's fine. That's okay. You should have them exist in our world. But when you start going on a deep dive, there was one in particular that said, you know, pre-pandemic or through the pandemic, we wrote this story and the Black female character um, seemed to have an importance to be there. And so we wanted to like develop her story more. And it turned into a trauma story for that one character when the rest of the story was a comedy. When suddenly we're having a white Jewish writer writing from the perspective of this woman telling her young son, like, let's talk about the rules of why I bought you this thing and like what happens when a police officer stops you and like had a whole conversation. I was like, you were not the right person to tell this story. You can give this character so much depth without having to go there. This is not your story to tell. So I think that that's what nuanced that reporter or whoever is saying all of that I think that's what they're missing is that it's not it's because it's not working when it's not genuine authentic stories that are coming through that's what's hurting that's why those things don't work so you know I I just know what I know no (laughs) you know absolutely I think nuance is so important on this podcast I like to I think it's really important to uplift folks who are doing it well and who are those folks for you or are there are there examples in your own production company further that you want to share about nuance and and things that played out that you felt played out well and that you hope that other folks can sort of look to and and use that as a blueprint yeah I mean look one of the companies that like we very much like admire and really try to um reflect within our work and and wants to you know keep up with them is the soul project has been like one of those companies that's like wow they are doing such good work they've seen they've produced some of my favorite plays over the last couple years um and they're very exciting and it's a really cool company um the other one is normal av is uh one that is so exciting they very much are trying to break um the mold of how we you know view theater and who's accessible to it and who writes the stuff and whose stories we get to tell um they're exciting yeah there was uh breaking the binary incredible organization like oh my god like whoa what are what work they're doing i just you know i i think it's a lot of young companies to be honest like i think i think there's a world where some of the older generations are getting it to a certain degree but there's a difference between hearing and understanding yes and I watch a lot of people when I have meetings with them or if I do interviews with them or talk about potentially doing a project together where they ask specifically about my perception or my perspective of their work And they're like, you don't have to hold back. Tell me exactly what your thoughts are. And I'm like, do you want me to grill you for the sake of grilling you? Or are you wanting me to kiss up to you and be like, I think you're doing really great work. You're doing the wonderful work. Like, what, what, what is your goal here? And I always ask them that. I'm like, do you, do you want me to say the flowery things of what I think you're doing well? Or do you want me to say, hey, sis, mm -mm. (laughs) Mm -mm, not that not that. Um, so, you know, a lot of these smaller, younger, new theater companies are really putting in the time and putting in the work and like doing EDI training and making sure that is a part of what they facilitate within their production. Make sure that they do like town halls and community halls and, you know, make sure that they're treating their actors safely and making sure that there's room for them to be able to speak up and say, hey, this felt like a microaggression. I like to say every microaggression is a macroaggression and we experience it on a daily. So, you know, 
it's really exciting to see a lot of these younger companies really doing the work and it reflects in the theater that they made because it just goes you go and see the stuff and you're like wow I don't identify that way but I feel like I have a better understanding because I heard it from that person's perspective and I'm like oh that's something I've never thought about before I am now going to walk around the world and go wow gotta be better about this thing because I didn't realize that was even a microaggression whoa ha huh. crazy it sounds so silly but that's that's what we're doing right now you know we're we're playing this weird game of like who's doing the best work and it's like I don't care who's doing the best work I want to know who's doing the actual work who's doing the actual work I say quite often and I feel like I say it in every, every interview um the Broadway industry in particular, not entertainment as a whole, but Broadway in particular to focus on is set up like a game of chess. Mm. And I don't want to play chess. I want to play Catan. There is more community involvement. There is more room for a player who has never played the game to still win that can learn and win through it. They might not have gotten to the that win, winner's post and you know, won the whole game, but you are setting them up for success for the next time, they have a better idea of what to do and how to play the game. And so, you know, I, I, I just think that that's what we're seeing right now. I think we're seeing a lot of companies playing Catan and saying, I'm not going to play chess. Not going to do it. It's too manipulative. I don't want to have to be confined by your rules to make sure that like, oh, if I am strategic and do this thing then it's gonna you know it may be against my principles or whatever but it's making me a step further further to work with this company that will maybe listen to maybe come to my reading or maybe listen to the the idea and maybe we can do something in the future i'm not i'm not for that we don't play that game in this house oh i love that that's such a brilliant metaphor right i mean to me like can you say that again? I just it's a uh... brilliant metaphor, darling. <laughs> but it's oh my gosh, it's true. There's so many spaces that I have I hate that folks come into space, you know, historically marginal folks from historically marginalized groups still are coming into theater spaces and it's operating on two levels, right? There's the there's I'm here to work, these are my talents objectively as a theater artist. And then the other level is all these identifiers and intersections and lived experience that I'm bringing in. And it is a very tender and brittle place because there's, to me, there's always that level of questioning, am I here for the right reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Am I here? Believe me when I tell you, I just, I'm thinking about this one artistic director that shall remain nameless who was talking about the spreadsheet they had they had a literal spreadsheet where they checked off anyone who wasn't cis and white and like that was their objective you know quote-unquote objective representation of diversity and bringing in other voices and my jaw you know I can't tell you how much my jaw dropped where it was like okay cool like you're putting us in a spreadsheet fantastic like I will never work with you again you know the part that we don't say out loud uh, which is my messy and nonlinear way of getting to the next question. Um, I'm so heartened by such a high profile network like this because I feel one of the challenges that I and other folks have experienced is when we get into these spaces and we do advocate for ourselves, if it isn't a, safe, a space that is safe and thoughtfully put together, then sometimes when we speak up for ourselves, we are then labeled difficult, right? The dreaded, difficult, and in an industry that's all uh. about relationships, that's crushing, right? Because it's that it's that um, value judgment that you have to make in the moment, considering all <laughs> the chess-wise. I mean, I think there's something lovely about that chess Catan, brilliant metaphor of, it gives you the permission to say, how do I, how do I advocate for myself and, you know, not ruin, <laughs> that's maybe being hyperbolic, but like damage my career, right? By saying like, you misgendered me or this interaction with this person, it was not right. And I need to say something. It was predatory. It was. Please, I'm going to stop talking and throw it back to you now. 
<laughs> oh, did I say predator? You got a chair spin. Whoa. <laughs> No, but but I I fully it resonates with me. Like I I think it resonates with a lot of people. And one thing that you like hit the nail on the head was this idea of like, do I use my principles and what I stand for and who I am and why I'm here? Do I hold space for myself or am I here as a token? Mm. Am I here as an optics ploy? It's something that I think about every time I enter a room. Anytime I enter a room, whether it's a reading, whether it's the Rise Directory launch party, whether it's like, it's it's just the reality of it. And, you know, luckily with, with Rise and the launch of that, like, I felt the most welcome and most seen. Like, I, it just was cool to walk in a room and have people be like, oh, I've been seeing all the things that, that like is going on. Your career is like really launching and I'm really excited about your work you've said this thing that really blew my mind. And that is so incredibly validating because I'm like, oh, you mean it. You really, you really mean it. And that's really exciting to me. Now, there's the other end of it where I think, I think what I've kind of come to find in myself is like, I am a Capricorn through and through. I'm a, I am don't like this descriptor, but I am a spicy Mexican like I am I know that about myself and I will claim that for myself I will not let a white person put that on me I will claim it for myself um I was on a project and this person will be remain nameless as well um and I think I think that they have room and have had a space and a platform to really amplify and be an advocate and they just majorly failed me and a lot of other people um, without them maybe knowing. And I had to go, okay, do I fight the fight or do I let it go and let this person go? Do I take a huge step away from someone who I really consider to be family and to be a real collaborator? And let me tell you why I stepped away. Because I was being let go of a project because I was being told that I was weaponizing, and I use these words very particularly because they are the words that were there, that I was weaponizing my mission statements. And it was because there were black and brown people that were on our production that felt unsafe. So I, as the producer on it, said, hey, we need to have a better understanding and idea of like what we all did collectively to not prepare them to be in this space. What could we have done better? How can we repair this? And how can we make sure that this never happens again? And instead of saying, you're absolutely right, we did screw up. Um, let's make sure that we have a conversation with them. Let's make sure that like people feel safe and that you know this never happens again. And instead it said, you know what, we're gonna let you go because like we really feel like it's not helpful that you're weaponizing your mission statements and trying to make us the villains. And I'm like, bro, you are cis and white. Don't even, don't even come for me about trying to protect these people when I'm constantly having to correct people with my pronouns, cis, or when we're referring to other people in the industry and I correct you and say, hey, by the way, they use they, them pronouns and you still misgender them throughout and I constantly have to correct you. You're not doing something, cis. And it was a really difficult decision. I mean, it's, I, I, tried as gracefully I mean I was really upset I was really hurt by it but I tried to bow out and say you know what that's fine you you don't want this that's okay you are not ready to hear what I have to say so I stepped away from it and have not spoken to this person in two years because of it and it makes me really sad um, because this person is around in this industry and I see them quite a bit and it hurts my my heart and hurts my soul but it's what had to happen. And I believe that there is a way that this person can come back to me and we can have a whole conversation. They're just not ready for it. And if you're afraid of me, that's not my problem. That is simply not my problem because I've given every opportunity to create a conversation. Let's just have a conversation about it. Why do you feel so actively that what I'm doing to hold space is weaponizing 
which by the way is a very violent word to use yes it consider is. it considering my mission is to protect people of color and trans people and marginalized people and people of the global majority you using that word as a cis white man not good not good so you know it's it's one of those things that like it was a lesson i had to learn it was a lesson that even the closest people to me can cause the most violence and what do we do with that you either step away for it or you fight for it and in this case it felt like too close to home to have to defend actively have to defend so you know it's what it is thank you for sharing that i i'm really sorry that you had to go through that experience and i'm grateful to you for sharing it because i feel that there's so many of these stories that happen all the time and never get shared, right? right? And it's a way for us to feel less alone when we hear of these other stories in, in my you know, personal perspective. And it galvanizes me a bit to keep going and do better. Do you think that, I reflect on this a lot, do you think that we're at this tipping point almost where we have all these young, you know, like millennial Gen Z folks who, as you said, are maybe in these smaller companies, very excited, very ready, doing, you know, quote unquote, all the right things and being thoughtful in creating the pieces that they're creating. And there's a bit of a disconnect because a lot of the folks who still have power are from what I like to call kind of the old guard of theater where you have to, you know, be broken down and earn your worth and do stuff for a low or no wage for a long time. And then you get up this, you know, ladder that no one knows the rules of, but I know I'm being a bit wordy right now, but what do we do at this moment? Because there are still gatekeepers who are of a different generation. And as studies have proven, multi-generational workspaces are the ones that are like the juiciest and like put forth the best work in a you know, variety of industries, how do we get these two groups to play nice with each other? And I don't know if it's even playing nice, but how do we get them to continue to move forward and collaborate in a way where they're not siloed, right? They, these two groups cannot remain siloed. They have to figure out a way to work together and be respectful to it. Or just coexist. Yes, well said. So what are, you know, what are your takes on how we can... <laughs> move forward in that way well first off i want to say something about the last part that leads into this is that like of what i said um is that it's important for me to say that my statement about this particular incident is in no way to um shame somebody absolutely um, because and and i say this because of the fact that like they're me saying it out loud means that you have an opportunity to say, hey, I want to make repairs. Because now that I hear that, and now that it's resonating for other people, ooh, now I heard what I said. I need to have a conversation and try to either explain myself or make sure that I never speak in this fashion again. Hold yourself accountable. And two, goes to what it is that you just asked right now. That opportunity, ooh, see, I've never used it this way. That moment in time was an opportunity right. for me in disguise. Didn't feel like it, but it was an opportunity for me because it was clear that I was in an unsafe environment. So it removed me from it, right? It also made me understand and made me reflect a lot on how can I have these conversations exactly like you just asked and make sure that the, the gatekeepers and the people who may not be ready to have this conversation feel safe enough with me to say, hey, let's talk about what just happened. Let's talk about how inappropriate that was. Now, I know that we're all learning and unlearning right now, and I'm not calling you out, I'm calling you in, but let's deescalate this conversation right now. I don't think that this is healthy, so let's move on and we can come back to this. When we talk about EDI in all of these companies, especially in these bigger companies, we're not actually talking about we're we're being educated on like the do's and don'ts but we're not being taught how to de-escalate and that's something that is just hard pressed 
and is so important. And so when we talk about all of these things, when we talk about the fact that I had, I, I had to actively learn like, ooh, this was not a good uh, environment to be in, or this was a really dark conversation that was about to happen. I'm just gonna remove myself. Okay, you said the thing. Yes, I'm gonna go peacefully. Good luck on your project, bye. I had to learn that for myself and learn to not be reactive. I also had to learn how can I go, cool, I'd never want this to happen again. How do I have this conversation beforehand with collaborators to say, hey, I'm not going to tolerate this. Hey, if we have this conversation, it's coming from a place of respect and saying, hey, we can all do better. I'm not pointing fingers. We can all do better. So I think I think in, within my experience with the theater community and Broadway community in particular, it's a lot. Wow, I've I've. I've never thought about it in this way, but it's in the perspective that I've had to in real life. Like Broadway's not real. (laughs) Broadway's not real. It's just not. It's it's not the real world. Regional and theater, uh, regional theater and community theater and educational theater is the real theater. That's just a commercial. That's that's the commercial for all of those these things, right? Right. Um, And What's so important to me is that like, as a theater maker, I think so far of my examples as far as like Republicans, conservatives, Trump voters, right? I'm not saying that that's what the old guard is, but like, let's be real, some of them are scarily conservative. But my point is, is that as a Latin-A person, as a Mexican, when we're talking about immigration, when we're talking about illegals, when we're talking about all of this reform and all of these things happening in our politics, it takes experiencing someone like me in your face and you have building a relationship and going, oh, had it not been for our relationship, I would have never understood or heard that. Same with being trans, same with being non-binary, same with being queer. I mean, I'm constantly having the conversation of having to explain pronouns like i'm explaining laugh, them. But, right no but like it's funny because it's like why this is elementary like why is this even a question why do you care how i want to identify why is that a you problem so but but a lot of times i will have conversations with these very conservative people and they're like wow i just have never heard it from that perspective and i'm like no you have you just didn't have a physical connection for you to actually like have that planted on, you know, you didn't have that concrete example to go, Oh, I know this person. They're a good person. I really like this person. Oh, I hear it. I get it. We don't do that in politics and we don't do that in theater. We just don't. So when we talk about like, Oh, we're creating this thing uh, you know, the show has to be commercial for tourists. And I'm like, tourists are not as dumb as you think they are. They don't need to see all of these remakes or these film adaptations or these jukebox musicals. They want to see things that make them think, that pushes the envelope and makes them go, oh, wow, now we should have a conversation about this. And I think that's the thing that we're missing in this industry. And what I, what my objective is as a theater maker as a producer is that i'm meeting with a lot of these like old guards and these gatekeepers and saying i'm gonna i'm going to put a name and a face to the like absurd pretend thing that you think exists over here so i'm gonna demystify what a trans person is because i don't look anything like a trans person to you so let's talk about that why, why, why is my transness not transness? Do you want to explain that to me? No? Okay, cool. Let's talk about how my brown skin, oh, you thought I was just like ethnically ambiguous that I could have been Filipino. I'm not, I'm Mexican and I'm very clear about that. So let's talk about why that was the immediate jump to that. Let's talk about why you're uncomfortable using the word BIPOC. Let's talk about your land acknowledgements and your lack of actual reparations towards the land acknowledgements that you're acknowledging. Let's talk about that. And ultimately, it leads to bigger conversations and it leads to new initiatives like RISE. It leads to actual conversations and it may not be the fast change that we want, 
I mean, I surely told a, a theater owner who was producing a big Broadway musical. And I said, hey, you want to talk about how your show is transphobic? You want to talk about that? Do, do you want to actually have that conversation? And we had a great conversation about it. And they're like, I never thought of it from that perspective. Thank you for bringing that up. No one's told me that. No one told him that his show was transphobic. And right. I said, that's because everybody's afraid of you. And I'm not afraid of you. If you don't like me, that's okay. But my goal isn't for you to like me. My goal is that you respect me. You respect me now because I told you the truth. I said, hey, I think that I think it's cool that that's what you thought you were doing. It's not what you did, sis. So here are the ways that I think could have pushed that show and could have pushed the envelope to the conversation that you were actually looking for. This is the way it could have been pro-trans and not transphobic. Here's how you could have actually been an ally, but you didn't have a trans person in the room to tell you that. Right. Oof. As we say in the Midwest, oofda. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, it's, um, it's something that I get a lot of flack for sometimes that I'm, I'm really direct and look, I, I want to, if I have to be a little provocative, like I will be provocative for the sake of being like, cool, I am pushing your buttons because I'm tr really trying to make you think. I'm saying, cool, so what have you done for trans and BIPOC people for me to be a part of this organization? What have you actively done? And it's not, again, it's not me calling you out. It's me saying, hey, have you thought about this? Right. Tell me what you've thought about that. You want me to tell you what I think about that? cool let's have that conversation so yeah love it love I mean I love you we've just met but I love you and I love all I love you amazing I want to pivot and and uplift your work specifically so tell me more about your production company and what's coming up next and tell me about this uh series you're writing Ooh, yeah. Um, so my production company, as I said before, Colony One Productions, uh, we launched in 2020. We'll be celebrating our three-year anniversary in a week, two weeks, so very soon. Um, we are on a bunch of advisory boards, one of them being uh, the incredible The Capables Foundation, which if you have never seen, it's a children's book series called The Capables, um, which they're now launching a not-for-profits foundation. Um, and the Capables, um, Danny Jordan, a good friend and collaborator of mine, created this story um, and all of the children that the books are based off of um, all have a disability. And, that, and, and instead of making it a disability, they, um, it's their superpower. And it's a really cool children's series. I mean, I've bought it for everybody and I own copies of it as well. Because it does the work that like, differently abled kids and disabled kids need to see themselves in media and to have a book where they're the superhero dope so like the first one she um has a lemon difference um the second one she has um the character um is dyslexic and there are so many people that need to to share these stories with their kids that don't have disabilities just generally, that's how you start it. That's how you start this conversation so that they don't point and say something rude and they don't, they're ignorant and don't know that, oh, this exists. They're going to go, oh, I understand that. That's a cool superpower. Tell me about that. And the reality too is like your very healthy children or your very healthy body can one day be disabled. Whoa, what a concept. So we need to be talking about disability now. And it's a really cool foundation that we've partnered with that we, you know, they're doing really great things and it's a exciting venture. Um, I really like supporting not-for-profits and making sure that we are putting them at the forefront of these conversations um, to which we're having a conversation uh, later this week or next week um, about the next thing I'm gonna share. Um, my company is making our Broadway producing debut uh, this year, later this year, um, for a show that I cannot disclose quite yet because it hasn't been announced yet. 
but it is going to be a game changer in a lot of ways. We've been pitched Broadway show after Broadway show after Broadway show um, that have been really cool, but there they have been um, there has been something in my gut and my intuition said, don't do this one. This one's not the right one. You will know when it's the right one and this one is the right one. And when we announce it, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, it's going to do some really cool things to really change the shape of this industry. And I'm very grateful and humbled to have been asked to be a part of it. And um, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be Broadway producers. Which, Congratulations. Thank you. Which means nothing and everything because like the reality of it is, is like I ha- will have a Broadway credit and then now people will take me seriously. You know, it's, that's the truth. That's the reality of it. Um so that's really exciting. And then, and yeah, we're developing a new musical called Siren uh, that we've been working on for a few years. That's um, like very folky indie um, music about the story is about um, like a lost colony of sirens who basically their entire community has been wiped out and there are three of them left. Um, and the town, townspeople are trying to come and uh, finish the job. Um, but they actually don't know how they killed all these sirens and so the sirens are desperately trying to now add to their ranks and add more sirens um to which they accidentally kill somebody who wants vengeance on them it's a really cool story um it's a story about community it's a, a very much a story about indigenous people um that's a lot of like what the themes are while they are not directly indigenous it's very much like those are undertones on, on how we like view and have prejudice towards different communities that we may not know a lot about um, or not taking the time to really educate ourselves with these communities, Um, especially with, you know, history books being the way that they are and the way that this country is uh, turning on education, which is a whole other story. We won't go into that. But yes, uh yikes. Um, So it's a really exciting musical that we're working on um, that hopefully we'll have some more updates on soon. Um, and yeah, you uh, brought up Vaguely Relatable. So I um, I'm, I came to New York 11 years ago to be an actor. And um, while I still act and still perform, uh, I noticed in, in, the pro- in the producing side of it, I was like, there are so many holes in here. But as, a, as an actor, I kept thinking about all the stories that I was going, um, going in for, both in film and theater. And when it was specifically a queer story or specifically a Latin, specifically Mexican story, it was all trauma-based. I was being deported. I was being gay bashed. I was in fear of being deported. I was in fear that uh, of expressing my love because I couldn't reveal that I was dating a man because um, what are my parents going to think? Like that was always the story. And so I, um, I wrote, I started uh, writing uh, thanks to uh, Sherry Renee Scott, who pushed me to do it. I started to write this series called Vaguely Relatable. And um, I'm going to do like a little concert and tell some of the stories. And I very much like do cabarets telling a lot of my like insane stories. And I'm like, no, everything I'm going to say is going to sound insane and so absurd and not real. It all happened to me. I got detained at the border. Um, yeah, surprise. I, I got detained at the border coming back from Mexico. Uh, I had, While I had flown into Mexico earlier that year, in January for my birthday, I went to Cancun, had no problems. Later in December of that same year, I drove through the border with my family to go to my grandparents' wedding anniversary. And the next day we drove back. And when we crossed the border, they said, hey, can you go to station number one? Okay, cool. Drove to station number one. Okay, can you drive to station number two? Went to two. Okay, you're going to go to station number five. To which my dad, who grew up in Mexico and has, you know, since then become a citizen um, who has been going to in and out of Mexico his entire life said, I've never been to station five. What does that mean? To which I was detained and questioned because um, I, I, a spoiler, I'm adopted. So 
my last name, it takes X amount of years for the system to be updated. Um, And so when I flew, it was updated, but at the border, it's not. So when I was coming back, it looked like I didn't exist. And when I, and when I tell you, it was the scariest thing to have like a bunch of people with like these machine guns strapped to them, like detaining me terrifying like I can't believe I didn't pee my pants it would have made for better tv but I didn't pee my pants sorry um but I had talked to Sherry about this particular incident because I was assisting her at the time and I she was like hey come over and do some work we didn't do any work she was like let's go sit on my terrace and talk and about your trip and I was going through a breakup at the time I got ambushed in meeting my biological father for the first time all of these things, crazy things were happening all at once. And Sherry's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, you're either really bored or you don't believe any of this is happening. And she said, hey, have you thought about writing this down? Like, have you journaled all of this? And I said, yeah, I've, I, I journal every day. Like, yeah, I've written about this. Like, I have kind of detail by detail, like, accounts of it. And she's like, yeah, this feels like it wants to be a play or like a musical or something or like a book maybe. And so ultimately I started to write like a theatrical script and I landed on a uh, somewhat musical uh, television show um, that because music has always been a part of my life and musical theater, especially, or telling pop songs with musical theater, like has always been a part of my life. So I was like, this kind of makes sense to make it like gay Seinfeld almost. Like I'm telling a cabaret and being like, let me tell you this crazy story that happened to me and really digging into the little minuscule parts of it and being like, and then I, I left this was her thing. And I was like, you're brilliant. I'm using this. She was like, it's really interesting. You went and you went from America to Mexico, like with this idea of your identity, then you met your father and he met your parents and like, thanked your dad for like raising you and like taking care of you. And then you went across the border, got detained because they had the wrong last name they didn't have your new last name and you got to re-enter the country for the first time as your actual self. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think it was that poetic, but yeah, you're absolutely right, writing it down. And, you know, I, I've written an entire series of it and um, pitching it to networks and trying to get it up on its feet. And it's the idea of the vaguely relatable part is that like, while my story is very specific and hopefully not too many people have been detained at the border, a lot of people are going to um, resonate with the family dynamics or lack thereof. They're going to understand the idea of being in a relationship and saying, I love this person with my whole heart, but it hurts me to stay with them. I need to leave. How do I do that? How do I safely do that for that person myself when your lives are so incredibly entangled? Um, So, you know, it's, it's um, something that I'm very proud of and uh, hoping that I can like, make happen very soon because it's stupid it's stupid funny and you know I I I really want to utilize like a lot of the real people that were involved and um you know it's it's a it's a family show it's a chosen family show love it may may I ask would you are you pitching yourself to portray yourself or is there someone you have in my yeah (laughs) I'm I'm pitching look I I could absolutely find somebody to be like, oh, you get it. I have a very particular brand of comedy. Like I'm, it's one of those things that like as an actor, um, like I didn't grow up with theater. Like I didn't get into theater until high school. And then even then, like I didn't know I was going into theater. I thought I was going to go to school for graphic design or, you know, to teach um, theater, theater or like, you know, have some kind of healing therapy for like autistic kids. Like, that's what I thought I was going to do. And so theater kind of just naturally happened. And so, like, I grew up not understanding my skill sets. And I didn't realize how funny I was 
until people were like side, like my sides are hurting laughing. Um, and I'm like, wow, you, um, you think I'm so funny. I'm not doing anything, but you're finding everything I say hilarious. And then I realized how funny I was. And I'm like, oh, that's trauma. That's trauma. That's trauma. Art. Art. Jazz hands. <laughs> oh, we could talk forever, but. Truly, truly. Sadly, we have to wind down this iteration of us of us chatting one of the questions on our on our part two interview uh part, in three months part two, a very special interview uh, <laughs> <laughs> i like sometimes i like to end with what's a question obviously you're very well spoken you've done many interviews what's a question that has not yet been asked to you that you would like to have asked and we can Ooh. ask an answer right now <laughs> uh, wow you know it's funny enough this is so stupid you, you're great and this is not an on you thing I never get asked so how are you doing like how are you okay, which is a weird I, no, I, no 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 I'm, right not, <laughs> I'm not I that wasn't a, that wasn't a pointed thing I'm just saying generally like it's it, a lot of times it's like tell us about your work, tell us about you and like, give us your bio and stuff like that. And a lot of times I'm like, hi, I'm struggling right now. And I'm having a really difficult time. And this has like brightened my mood. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that we had this really great, fruitful conversation. But the reality of it is, is like, and this is the part that we don't talk about ever, is that I can be like, hey, I'm glad that my company is taking off. And I'm glad that we're making our Broadway debut. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. That's how I'm doing. I yeah. don't, no one's, no one's actively responding to me, giving me a job so that I can make money. No one's giving me fellowships. No one is, you know, I'm trying to be a, a fellow on a show coming to Broadway and they don't respond to me. And I'm like, hi, I am hurting for money right now. I am hurting with my mental health. I am hurting in the world. Do you see what's going on? Nope, you're not going to ask me that. We're going to go straight into the, well, this thing happens. So how do you feel about it? And I'm just like, well, I feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel awful. Thank oh. you for asking. Well, the, uh, thank you for sharing that. Because there is something about, there's so many folks I know who are in a similar situation where they are pretty high profile in terms of, oh, we should interview this person. But then it's like, if you want that person to keep being awesome and to keep doing the work and to keep advocating for other folks, you need to make sure <laughs> that they can afford their apartment and they have yummy food and they have a support system. And so it, it should not be as commodified as it is. I hope if folks take anything away from this, that these relationships should not be transactional. I I sincerely hope we can move away from that. That is a big conversation in and of itself. But if I may ask a follow-up question to how you are doing, how can we support you and how can we learn more about your work? If folks are listening to this and they're going to be part of your fan club now, what are the actionable things that they can do to support you and your work? You can go and visit our website and like look us up and chat with us and like ask us how you want to be a part of it or if you want to donate to us um, to help support us or be an investor. Um, my website is www. I can't believe I'm saying that. I feel so old. It's dannymarin.com or www.con-lemon.org. And our handles are it's Danny Marin or con limon pro. And my Venmo is at it's Danny Marin. My Zelle is just like, <laughs> but no, truly, like, I think, I think the reality of the conversation that we're having is that like, support these smaller people, check in with them, have conversations. If you are, ooh, this is the number one one for me. And I talk to people about this all the time. If you want to have a meeting with me, or anybody in this industry to get to know them, if you specifically want to meet with this individual, offer to pay for their meal. 
offer to pay for their coffee, offer to pay for their cocktail, offer to pay for their time. Because the reality of it is, is that like, you know, this hour went by so fast, you know? And if we were in person and say, okay, we could turn off this Zoom and go straight into like talking some more about whatever, you and I would sit there for hours and just chat. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what it is. So when you ask me for a cocktail, the reality is it's not going to be an hour. The reality is we're probably going to sit there for two or three hours. And that's my time. That's my time I could be looking for work. That's my time I could be working on something. That's time away from my dog. That's time away from my husband. Like, that's the reality of it. So like, be respectful of my time. I'm good with just, hey, I'm going to buy your coffee. I'm okay with that. You can buy my $6 expensive ass latte for for the two hours that we're going to sit here and I'm going to give you advice. Right. I'm okay with that because you understood what the task was at hand, that you invited me and I should not be paying out of my pocket to be sitting here with you. Well said. It, and it has to be said because <laughs> folks... Yeah. I, one of the most lovely interactions I had was someone asked me to look over a casting breakdown on, like just sent an Instagram message and I'm always open for that. And then immediately after they were like, what's your Venmo? I want to, you know, I want to buy a couple coffees for you because you took the time and that's it. That's it. It's a game changer. Yes, it is a game changer. And I just, I, in case folks are confused to me, that's not to me, that's not because I just said I don't want things to be transactional. Be transactional. It's different in that it's a, sh- it's more than just that six dollar coffee or whatever. It's a show of respect. Respect. It's saying that I see you as someone who has a unique perspective that adds value to what I'm doing and is going to make my work better. The least I can do is offer right. you this avocado toast. Exactly. With bacon or chili flakes, I don't know. Uh, and one of the, uh, Amy Smith, who is a lovely human, when she was running an organization, one of the things that she said is there was always a budget line for, it wasn't earmarked as DEI stuff, but for the things that come up, for the things that come up, for the things that we don't know that we're going to need money for in terms of, yeah, a sensitivity reader or whatever, don't have plan for doing things like that, I think is something I want to let folks know is plan for doing something like that have that little fund set aside or big big would be great um but for when you are reaching out to folks and asking for their unique expertise because you know what it's it just opens up the world to you in in really lovely ways because then we start talking about you in a positive way and it just is an organic lovely networking thing that blossoms well Um, it just it turns that coffee it turns the avocado toast it turns that lunch whatever it is it turns it into the best investment you've ever made it's as simple as that because you're right it makes me go hey i have time and i should check in on this person and see what they're up to or it makes me go hey, you need help with something? I'm happy to be a resource for you and look over that contract that you may be confused about. Or, hey, you want me to collaborate with you? Cool, you bought me in that coffee. Um, I'm going to send three emails while we're sitting here. You should talk to this person in London. You should talk to this person in New York. And you know what? You're, you really need a regional house. I think this house in LA would really love your work. Do, it immediately opens up that world. And it's I don't see it as transactional either because the transactional thing is like, I, 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 you know, boosted and rubbed your ego. Like, what are you going to do for me? Like it turns it into a different thing of being like, look, I really respect what you're doing. And I want to make sure that you are going to have a good day by like feeding you and giving you nutrients. It's as simple as that. So, you know, that's my Ted talk. You know, well, I think that's a lovely button. (laughs) Button, though we could go on forever. Uh, the podcast that never ends. Uh, Danny, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I'm looking forward to your TV series. I'm looking forward to what you produce on Broadway. And uh, uh, seconded, I would really love a memoir if, you know, in your spare time. That would be great. 
Yeah, in my spare time, we'll we'll get to that. It's it's going to be a hefty memoir, but uh, it's going to be War and Peace. But yeah, it's it's going to be it's it'll be something. It'll be entertaining. <laughs> hey, you know Elliot Page's memoir rocket skyrocketed to New York Times bestseller. So I work. I expect the same from you. <laughs> I need I need to get a little bit more famous first, and then we'll like. Cool. <laughs> We're working on that, listeners. Get on it. Um. So in the comment description, we will have all of the links that you shared and including risetheater.org. I know that it's on my list to make a profile for myself and I encourage listeners to do the same and you're going to want to check this out. So thank you for your time. We'll see you online on stage and have a wonderful rest of your day, Danny. Oh my goodness, you too. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Woodzik. This episode of the podcast was edited by C.J. Higgins and distributed by American Theatre Magazine. If you like what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe. Tune in each month for new interviews with artists and cultural trailblazers.